Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Godzilla, the creature from the Black Lagoon, the blob, Frankenstein. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. These are old-timey movie monsters. But there's one movie monster that has continued to make his way to the big screen over and over and over again, King Kong. Now, here's the deal. You know this, if, you, if you're a King Kong fan, you understand that the plot hardly ever changes. There's, this, uh, there's this, this, this war between man and this King Kong, this overgrown ape, and then somewhere in the movie, uh, he has these affections for the leading lady, right? Okay, so that, that's the basis. Well, not too much different in this version of Kong. Kong Skull Island. And so we showed you just a little bit the basics of this story. Here's the story. Uh, Scientists discover what they believe is the last uncharted uh, piece of property or land in the entire world. And they've been studying it. Nobody seems to know about it except just a couple of scientists. And so they race to get there to find out what's going to be on this island. They're expecting it to be uninhabited, but lo and behold, it's not. So this what you've just seen is what takes place. Uh, Samuel Jackson is the lead character from the army, and he is, uh, he is leading this expedition with these scientists over this uncharted island, and they're dropping these seismic bombs, uh, these, little, these little bombs out of the helicopters because they're, they're tied in, and it, when they hit the ground and explode, it sends scientific data back to the scientists so they can discover what the makeup of this uncharted island is. Is The problem is, is that when they drop the bombs uh, and it hits the earth and it explodes, Kong shows up. And in what they believe to be true is that Kong is attacking them. And he begins to swat the helicopters. Every good Kong movie has to swat an airplane or a helicopter out of the air, right? So he swats the helicopters out of the air. And what takes place then is that Samuel Jackson, believing that Kong is their enemy and in retribution for killing his men, he leads them on this uh, expedition to kill Kong. And they gather all their munitions and they're trying to kill Kong. Well, in the meantime, what takes place uh, is they, they crash land, and then you hear this statement by one of his men. One of his men makes this statement. They, he says, sometimes the enemy doesn't exist until you go looking for one. All right? So uh, in the meantime, the scientists encounter an old soldier that had been stranded on the island since World War, World War II, and he informs them that the truth is, is that Kong is not their enemy. In fact, Kong was trying to help them because Kong knows that when the bomb explodes on the surface of the land, it causes the creatures, the skull crawlers that he names, uh, to come out from under the ground and they attack. So Kong is not fighting them. He's actually fighting for them and he's trying to protect them and the lost people group that they soon discover inhabits the island. That's the background. Sometimes... The enemy doesn't exist until you go looking for one. 
First Kings chapter 16. It sounds like you're turning pages, but I know you're digging for popcorn. Okay. First Kings. First Kings chapter 16. First Kings chapter 16. Just a couple of verses of scripture here, and then I'm going to chart for you through um, several passages in this area of First Kings. We're going to read them together and see if we can't tie it together. First Kings chapter 16, beginning in verse 29. Ahab, son of Omri, was king of Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Ahab, the son of Omri, was king over Israel for 22 years. He ruled from Samaria. Ahab, son of Omri, did even more open evil before God than anyone yet. A new champion in evil. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And then this happened. Elijah, the Tishbite, from among the, uh, from among the settlers of Gilead, confronted Ahab. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom, I'm st- whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain, and check this phrase, unless I say otherwise. The NIV says it like this, except at my word. Now, just stop right there long enough to say this, that Elijah at the direction and obedience and leading of God and in response to Ahab's evil makes a declaration that there will be no drought. And then he says this, the drought will only come to an end if I say so. At my word. I don't know what your response to somebody like that would be. But I just want to tell you this morning that if I have come into contact with someone in my life that had the ability to say that I was going to experience a drought, and then one step further that also said, at my word, I can cause your drought to end. I can cause your famine to come to a close. I don't know what your reaction would be, but my response would be, I would protect that person at all costs, right? I would do my best to defend them and to look after them and to get in good with them and find favor with them, right? Wouldn't you? If you okay, okay, but that's not what happens. See, see, I want you to watch. Three years later, Elijah arrives back on the scene to bring an end to the destruction and bring an end to the danger and bring an end to the drought. And instead of honor and favor and uh, for the protection and all that, what you see is you begin to see a downward progression of Ahab's attitude towards Elijah. Let me read it to you. First Kings chapter 18. Elijah's been off the scene for three years just waiting on the right time and now he's coming back to end the drought. First Kings chapter 18 beginning of verse 17. The moment Ahab saw Elijah, he says, So it's you, old troublemaker. Wait a minute. This is the guy that can end my drought. And he immediately says, It's you, the old troublemaker. Here's Elijah's response. It's not I who's caused trouble in Israel, but you and your government. You've dumped God's ways and commands and you run off after the local gods and Baals. So that this brings us to this account. Many of you know this account. Now Elijah is in conflict with Ahab and Elijah calls for a duel. Remember, on the top of Mount Carmel, he calls for the 450 prophets of Baal and they have this contest. And Elijah lets them go first and they build this altar and they cry out to Baal and they ask Baal to send fire down to consume the altar, right? And nothing happens, right? They, for hours, they cut themselves and they beg and nothing happens. And Elijah ridicules them. Go read it in the Living Bible. It's one of the best passages of Scripture in all, all of Scripture. Read it in the Living Bible as he taunts them. 
and makes fun of their God. But then Elijah takes the stage and with just a few words out of his mouth, he prays. First, he wets the altar down. He soaks it with what's their most prized possession, water. He soaks the altar and he cries out to God in just a few words and fire falls and the entire nation repents and Elijah picks up his sword and he he kills all four. Y'all know this story. He kills all 450 prophets of Baal and then he gets up and he declares that the the, the drought is over. Right? Y'all remember all that? Okay, good. I hope so. That's what happens. So the nation repents, rain falls, and Elijah is, Elijah is proven to be a friend, a protector, a savior, right? But not so fast. I want you to see what happens at the very next, the final exchange. It's the very next exchange with Elijah and Ahab. This is the last one. 1 Kings chapter 21 beginning in verse 17. Then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab king of Israel who rules in Samaria. He's now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. He's stealing a vineyard. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lip up your blood Yes, yours. Now listen to what he says. Ahab said to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy. You old troublemaker. Now he's all the way to this. You have found me, my enemy. I have found you, Elijah answered. Because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. And I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. Did you catch it? Ahab has progressed in his attitude and his relationship with Elijah. That now he begins to address Elijah as enemy. You're my enemy. He is addressing the man who has provided direction He's provided correction. He's provided provision. But he addresses him now as you're my enemy. See, there's some lessons this morning that that I want to teach you. Sometimes the enemy doesn't exist until you go looking for one. Elijah was not an enemy until Ahab turned him into one. How many of us have a tendency to create enemies out of those who are actually trying to help? There, there are some, uh, see, I, I believe we can learn some lessons from the Kong movie, but also from this biblical account that attaches to this movie because some of us have way too many enemies, not because they are enemies, but rather because we have fashioned them into enemies. This takes place for several reasons, and I'm only going to mention a few. I'm, I'm going to mention five real quick. Three of them I'm not going to spend any time on because we'd be here all day. Instead, what I want to do is I just want to mention the first three to you, the three of the reasons that we create enemies out of friends, uh, and then I want to spend two more time on the last two. Just, let me mention the first three. I think we create enemies because we, mis- we misjudge motives. Some of us just have a lot of enemies because we misjudge people's motives. Okay, I'm not going. I can't land there, or we'll be here all day. Two, uh, we refuse to give others the benefit of the doubt while we demand it for ourselves. We want people to judge us by our actions while we judge them by their intentions. Okay, y'all are quiet. Uh, Three, a lot of us just have enemies because we have poor communication skills. Right? 
We just don't know how to communicate with one another. And a soft answer turns away wrath, but we always brash and harsh. And we, I'm just speaking my mind, and it, I'm just this way. And if you don't like me, okay. And then we end up with enemies. So let me spend some time here on the last two. Number four, I believe that we end up with enemies because we allow others to control the paintbrush. Okay, let me explain. Earlier in the movie, we didn't show you this part, but earlier in the, in the movie, Samuel Jackson uh, begins to uh, paint the picture of Kong as an enemy to his men until till once they crash land and he begins to gather them to go on this mission. He, 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 he doesn't take a literal paintbrush, but with words and with attitudes, he paints a picture of Kong as if Kong is their mortal enemy until the... Till they come to this place where his men begin to believe that Kong is an enemy and they go out to hunt Kong and it leads to their ultimate destruction, right? Just because he allowed, they allowed their, their commander to paint Kong a certain way. In the account that I read to you, Ahab allows his evil wife Jezebel to paint Elijah as an enemy. She convinces Ahab that, that, she, that he needs to get rid of Elijah because if he'll get rid of Elijah, he can do whatever he wants to do and nobody will call, on, call him down and he can, he's the king. He deserves to do what he wants to do. I mean, you are the king and Elijah's an evil man and Elijah's just trying to, to one-up you and show you up and, and if you'd get... And she takes a paintbrush and she continues to paint... Elijah as this overbearing, mouthy nobody that Elijah needs to get rid of. That's our tendency. That's our tendency. If we're not careful, we allow those around us. If we're not careful, there are people in our lives that we allow. We allow them to have control of the paintbrush in our life. And so what happens is this. Out of sincere heart and out of correct motives and out of love for us, someone that that we know tries to help us and then we allow the person that's controlling the paintbrush to paint that person that's trying to help us as conniving and sneaky and controlling and corrupt and then we will cut that relationship off even though they were trying to help us because we let somebody else paint the picture for us. Uh, Someone out of their best interests for us will correct us and the person that controls the paintbrush in our life will begin to paint them as an enemy. And we will go on attack. And we will literally rupture a relationship because we, we don't understand that they're trying to help. Only and simply because somebody on Facebook pushed us to believe that they were an enemy and that they were at attack. And, and we cut them off. Uh, we've forgotten a passage of Scripture. The truth of Proverbs chapter 27 verses 5 through 6 which says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies, multiplies kisses. In other words, real friends at times in our life will come to this place where they make a judgment call that they need to maybe inflict temporary pain for our long-term good. But enemies will kiss us and tell us we're all right, even though they see us headed for destruction. Right, so, so the result is this. For too many of us, we only allow people to get close to us who applaud and approve. And as soon as a real friend shows up and reluctantly but out of necessity inflicts temporary pain, we, we, what we would do is we go on attack. And, and instead what we, we allow to happen is the clappers and the backslappers come into our life 
and they convince us that the real friend's not really a friend. Anybody ever experienced that? I've experienced that. We let people get close to us that convince us that they're our only real friends and they will never call us on the carpet. And they will never, hey, you can tell if you've got a real friend because they will tell you when you're doing wrong. They love you enough to tell you you're being silly. The way that you're living your life is not making any sense. The way you're spending your money makes no sense. Where you're going on Friday night makes no sense. Who you're dating makes no sense. Who you're Facebooking makes no sense. Who you're spending your time with makes no sense. A real friend will do that. But those that only want to clap and applaud will clap and applaud you right to destruction. But if we don't control the paintbrush... We will allow them to cause us to cut off real friends. Listen, we need somebody in our life that can correct. Confrontation is rarely painless, never easy, and often rejected, and it's always risky. But real friends will confront. Elijah refused to allow Ahab to sin, and because Ahab let Jezebel paint the picture, Ahab considered Elijah an enemy. And some of us see people as enemies simply because they won't approve of our actions. As soon as somebody says, you can't live like that and claim the name of Jesus, we want to cut them off. You can't talk to your spouse like that. You can't treat your kids like that. You can't work so little at work and call yourself you can't cheat on your taxes and call you can't steal from your neighbor and you can't lust after your neighbors when the truth is this people that care for us turn the spotlight on our issues not to hurt us They turn the spotlight on our issues and on our actions because they are trying to save us from destruction. When someone, listen to this statement very carefully. If you don't catch anything else this morning, I want you to catch this. We've got to control who controls the paintbrush in our life. Listen to this statement. When someone imputes evil motives to another person's heart, they are merely revealing what is in their own. I'm going to say that again. When someone imputes evil motives on somebody else's heart, all they are doing is they are showing you the contents of their own heart. And at that moment, you recognize, if you listen to them, that you have given up control of the paintbrush and they are painting a picture that is not correct for you. And if you're not careful, you will cut people off out of your life that were actually trying to hurt. They may not applaud for you. They may not tell you that you were the best thing since sliced bread. They may shine a spotlight on your issues and your faults, but they're there to help you. And if you're not careful, you will cut them off. Because people control the paintbrush. So you need to be careful who you allow to control the paintbrush in your mind. Who's talking to you about who's talking to you? The fifth reason. I believe that so many of us have way too many enemies because we prefer enemies over change. I'm going to say that again because I want that to sink in. I think so many of us have way too many enemies simply because we prefer enemies over change. If you go back to the beginning of this movie, what happens is Samuel Jackson is ending, they're coming to the, the close of a war, and he's, a, he's a, a, a career soldier. This is all he knows. 
All he knows is how to fight. He's made his, his whole living, his life, his career, everything is wrapped up around this, this, this idea that I'm a soldier. Word comes in. He gets the call. The war is over. He hangs up the phone. He goes out and dismisses his men, and they're all excited, and they're beginning to talk about, we're going to get to go home, and we're going to just get to spend time with our families, and we're going to get to go to the beach and all this stuff. And the next scene you see is Samuel Jackson in his office drinking because he's depressed because he has no war to fight. And then the call comes that they're going to send him on this expedition. And he perks up just a little bit. And then all of a sudden, he sees Kong and he finds purpose again. He needed an enemy so bad simply because he wasn't ready to change. He's been confronted with this fact. All the wars are over. There's no one else to fight. Your role as a soldier is coming to a conclusion. And he doesn't know what to do. So he sees an opportunity for an enemy. I want to say this to you this morning uh, from Scripture that we see this happen because even though Elijah is a doorway to blessing, Ahab chooses to make him an enemy rather than doing the hard work of dealing with the sin and the lust, and the jealousy, and the anger of his own heart. It was easier to make Elijah an enemy than it was to change. Okay. Turning someone into an enemy is actually uh, easier than making the change that someone calls us to. Okay, I'm going to help you this morning, I hope. I have seen this happen over and over and over again. I have watched people turn pastors into enemies because a pastor will stand in a pulpit and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit call us to change. And since we don't like the change and we're not comfortable with the change, then we will reject the change and make the pastor, he or she then becomes our enemy and they don't know what they're talking about and I don't like them anyway and I can't stand the way they preach and they're really not as, all the, oh, they're not as good as they act and they're not as holy as they act and we begin to badmouth them because we would rather pick an enemy than to deal with change. Okay, all right, all right. I've watched people confronted with biblical truth walk away from relationships simply because they refuse to do the hard work of change and they would prefer to label the person that called them to change as an enemy. Some of y'all have people like that in your own life, when you confronted somebody with the truth, they walked away and then they begin to badmouth you on the backside. And it's not because they don't like you so much as they don't like what you called them to. And so they, okay, our own unwillingness to change can cause us to go on attack. Parents, have you ever seen that happen with your kids? Oh, it's quiet up in here. Say, <laughs> we. We call the things that are in them out of them. I'm, I, it comes off like this. Make your bed. That old jerk. All he ever cares about is my bed. I, he doesn't give a rip about me. I don't. You, you wait till I get out on my own. Just, just cause I ask you to make your bed, you turn me into an enemy. 
Do the dishes. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> Clean your room. And they don't wreck you. Rather than doing the hard work of change, which forces me to go out of my comfort zone and do a call. They don't even understand that we're calling destiny and purpose out of their life. And they think it's about beds and vacuum cleaners and dishes. And it's really about discipline and diligence. And so I'm trying to call the destiny out of you so you won't be a bum all your little life and lay up in mama's bedroom playing video games the rest of your life. I would rather you learn to get up on time and make your bed and clean your room. Because one of these days when you're 46 years old, you can't lay up in a room playing video games all your life. Uh, some of y'all loving me, some of you hating me, turning me into an enemy. But, okay, we're all over the kids, let's get over spouses because spouse will call us to change because you're destroying our relationship. And rather than doing the difficult, hard work of actually changing, I will turn you into all kinds of words. You're not the same person I'm married. You're just a nag. You bother me. I need my space. You're all up in my grill. <laughs> I need a break. Let me go to our friends and tell them how bad our spouses have treated us and they, they, they don't care about me. And, and we turn them into enemies simply because we don't want to change. We do that in every relationship, friends, co-workers, and all people are trying to do is call the purpose and the destiny that is in our life out of us, but it's so painful that we would rather go on the warpath, and we mislabel people. They're my enemy. Well, wait a minute. God sent them to you. Why is it we only want to say God sent people to me when they bless us in a way that we want them to bless us? Oh, they gave me a car. God sent them to me. They gave me a, they gave me a raise. God sent me that boss. But the one that made me work so hard before that boss that taught me the diligence to clock in and do a good day's labor was my enemy and we, we label them as enemy, and we don't even realize that the reason we got the, the raise from the second boss was because the guy that we said was the enemy the first time was the one that was training us to get us to the place where the second boss recognized in us that we worked hard. But the first one was an enemy. We don't label people correctly. And I believe that a lot of times that's true simply because we don't want to change. It's easier just so. My question is simple for you this morning. A couple questions. Who have you turned into an enemy who was really a friend? Who in your life have you labeled they are an enemy to me when the truth is they really wanted what was best for you? 
Who's trying to bring rain into your life that now you've cut them off because you simply want to silence them because in order for them to get the rain back to your life, they've got to challenge you on some things and challenge you to change and challenge you to quit and challenge you to stop some actions and some behaviors that are causing drought to show up in your life in the first place and God sends them to you, but you keep cutting them off because you don't like what they say. Who have you dismissed simply because change was too hard? I want to say to you this morning very simply, and then I'll get out of your way, that some of us need to rip the paintbrush away from a spouse that is causing us to see people incorrectly. Some of us need to rip the paintbrush out of the hands of a co-worker who paints our boss as an enemy every day. Some of us need to rip the paintbrush out of the hands of some classmates who are painting other classmates or teachers or professors or RAs or RDs or whatever other R's they put in front of them. And they're just the enemy and they're out to hurt us. They know they're trying to protect and you need to grab the paintbrush out of the hands of your roommate and say, no, I will not allow you to paint them that way. They're not my enemy. They want my good. Others of us need to go back and we need to repair some relationships that cause us pain. You didn't didn't hear what I just said. Some of us need to go back and repair some relationships that we know going in are going to cause us pain. But it's pain with purpose. They bother me. But it's pain with purpose. They get on my nerves but it's pain with purpose. They won't shut up. They won't leave me alone. They're always pointing out my flaws, but it's pain with purpose. We need to go back and reestablish because that pain was meant for our good. Sometimes the enemy doesn't exist until you go looking for one. And some of you have gone looking for an enemy when there was no enemy there. I can't tell if you're getting this this morning. I hope you're going to, I hope what's happening in your own mind is this, is that faces are being like this, like the movie screen. They're playing, I, I labeled this guy, I labeled this lady, I labeled this person as an enemy. Now that I think about it, they weren't trying to hurt me, they were actually trying to help me. If you can't get that correct, I just, Wednesday night, um, two Wednesday nights ago, I talked to uh, the youth. Uh, Andrew asked me to, Pastor Andrew asked me to come in and talk to the youth. And I talked to them about the same thing. Because what I recognize is that even from a young age, we don't know how to do this. There's a skill, there's a spiritual gift that we need. It's called discernment. It is an art. It is a weapon. It is a protection. And most of us have no discernment. We've never honed that gift. So we don't label people correctly and we get our own selves in trouble because we try to kill Kong when all Kong was trying to do was protect us. We try to kill a prophetic voice in our life when that prophetic voice, all they were trying to do was speak truth to us to wake us up so that we don't destroy ourselves. Sometimes an enemy doesn't exist until you go looking for one. Father, this morning... My prayer is this, is I pray that in the lives of your people, 
I pray that we would learn to develop the gift of discernment. I pray this morning that we would have the ability to label people correctly. God, I know under the sound of my voice there are folks in this room that have allowed somebody else to grab the paintbrush and they literally painted a picture of somebody in our life and they look like an enemy, but it's only because they were painted that way. I pray that this morning you would allow us to push past all that paint and we would see our spouse correctly. We would see our children correctly. We would see our parents correctly. We would see our co-workers correctly. We would see our classmates correctly. We would see people in authority over us correctly. You would allow us to control the paintbrush so that we can see clearly. Father, I also know that there are people under the sound of my voice and watching online this morning that are struggling simply because the change that they've been called to is so difficult and so painful that it's easier to reject the truth and attack the messenger. We've all done that. I've done that. I pray this morning that you would allow us to be willing to do the hard work of change. I pray that when a voice arises in our life that confronts us, we know, we know you send us encouragers that pat us on the back and applaud, but Father, you also send people to us that will confront us and challenge us and correct us. And I pray that when those voices arise, that we would be determined enough to grow up in you, that we would refuse to attack them as enemies rather than changing. God, in this, in this house right now, there are individuals that have heard prophetic words go out over their life in years past, some from this pulpit, some in private conversations, some in entirely different settings. They heard the prophetic word, and the prophetic word was going to require significant change we've shelved that word and we've pushed it back and we've even begin to, begun to view the person that said those things as maybe they're not for me, maybe they're against me because we know that in order for our destiny to be fulfilled we're going to have to pick that word back up and it's going to cause us pain I pray this morning that instead of fighting enemies that don't exist I pray that instead we would embrace the confrontational word of God. Call the destiny and the purpose and the plans that you have for us to pass. May we be willing to do this, the painful, difficult work of change. I'm asking you to do that. In Jesus' name. Would you reach out and lay your hand on your neighbor this morning? I have debated all week on how to close this, and I think I'm just going to close it like this. Father, as we lay our hands on those around us, I pray that they would start with a clean slate in their mind about people. I pray that I pray for my neighbor, my brother, my sister, my friend that 
any pictures that have been conjured up, painted up, I pray that you would wipe the slate clean this morning and they would see clearly. I also pray this for the person I'm touching right now. Father, if I've been guilty of painting someone wrong for them, I ask that you would rip the paintbrush out of my hands. And I make a covenant with the person I'm praying over right now. I make a covenant with them that I will refuse to paint people incorrectly for them. We make that commitment to one another this morning that we will try to paint people correctly. Father, I pray for the person that I'm laying my hand on right now. There are There is great destiny in them, but they need somebody in their life that will confront, that will correct. God, if you're raising me up with my hand on them as a commitment, I will speak truth to them, even if the truth contains some pain. I will do it in the right attitude and in the right tone, but I'll do it because I want to see them grow. Father, I pray that together as we make this commitment, this covenant with one another, you would call us to great things. And we as a body, as individuals, but as a body, you would call us and we would respond. And as hard as it may seem and as painful as it may feel, we'll change rather than fighting enemies and wasting our resources and our time and our energy on enemies that do not exist. We ask you to accomplish this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.